Here we go. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and you are listening to Law and Gospel on this Bible Study Wednesday. And we're going to be taking a look at passages from the sixth chapter of the Gospel according to St. John. John chapter 6. This is an opportunity, if you're in a congregation without a pastor, to have a Bible study on Wednesday mornings at 9.30 with a group, and then talk about it afterwards. And I do know there are people in their homes doing the same item. So each Wednesday, Bible study Wednesday. John chapter 6 is, of course, the feeding of the 5,000. And when Jesus had finished feeding the 5,000, we're going to start at verse 15. Verse 15 of John chapter 6. Give you a moment to get to it. All right. Here's what the ESV says. Perceiving, that's Jesus, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So after the feeding of the 5,000, the individuals wanted to make Jesus king. It's a common problem that even some Christians today have. They look to Jesus as his kingdom being in the temporal realm rather than in the spiritual realm. But Jesus makes very clear, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not that Jesus doesn't work in the temporal realm. No, he helps continually to heal diseases, to get us out of problems. But his primary purpose is the spiritual realm and the gift of the forgiveness of sins. Now, these people, they saw the feeding of the 5,000, and therefore they were chasing after Jesus to make him their new king. Verse 16, John 6. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. In other words, they were ready to leave. And they got into a boat, started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark. And Jesus had not yet come to them. So Jesus wasn't in the boat yet. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Yes, in fact, they were frightened a number of times on a boat. Jesus was asleep once during a big storm, and they woke him up. Don't you care? They said to him, and he said, O ye of little faith. But Jesus, when he's walking on the water, said to the disciples, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. That's Capernaum. Now, remember, those crowds are still following. 
And we're taking a look at this passage because it says a lot about Advent and Christmas, as we're going to see in a moment. On the next day, John 6, verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. So they recognized that. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had seen the bread after the Lord had given thanks, uh, where they had eaten the bread. So we're talking about these people, 5,000, and that was just counting the men, not the women and children. Verse 24, chapter 6. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves get got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, you know why they were doing that? Because they want to make him a king. They, they thought, boy, this one who fed us, maybe he's going to restore Israel to its former grandeur. And guess what? Verse 25, they found him on the other side of the sea and said to him, Rabbi, where did you come from? Now, why are they asking that? Because, number one, they did not see him get into the boat, yet here he was on the other side of the sea. Now, Jesus doesn't answer their question. He doesn't say, oh, I just walked on the sea over to the boat and the disciples brought me to Capernaum. No, Jesus has a different goal, not to explain how he got into the boat, but rather, verse 26, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, that's really kind of important. At Thanksgiving, it's kind of interesting to listen for what people are thankful for. And a lot of times you hear people thankful for possessions that they have received or good health, etc. And what is often missing is they're not thankful for Jesus. How many times have you heard that? Yeah, during this year, 2019, I was really thankful for Jesus. After I had gone through my uh, health problems, I was thankful that Jesus had made sure that I got married to a nurse 52 years because I don't think I could have got through as well as I did without her. But I was thanking Jesus because I believe that Jesus is the one who sets up marriages. Be that as it may, how often are we thankful for the new bike we got, the new car we got, the new house we got, the promotion at work, etc.? and kind of forget about the person that gave it to us. Similarly with these folks, they're thankful because their stomachs are filled, and therefore they're looking to Jesus 
for the wrong reason. They mistook the sign that Jesus was giving them. He says, well, you saw a miracle, but you missed the sign that was behind it. Well, what's Jesus talking about? Well, he goes on. Do not, verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Now, that word seal simply means approval. God has approved of Jesus of being the one whom he has sent to save people from their sins. This is really important. How did the feeding of the 5,000, how did that fit into Jesus' approval by God? Well, we remember that John the baptizer sent disciples, his disciples to Jesus asking, are you the one we're looking for or is there another one to come? Remember Jesus' answer? Go back and tell John what? The deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk, the mute rise, uh, the mute speak, and the dead rise from the dead. Well, guess what? Those are miracles but they have a sign behind them that this is from the book of Isaiah and elsewhere in the Old Testament, a fulfilled prophecy of how you can tell who is the true Messiah, the true Christ, the true anointed one. They missed this at the feeding of the 5,000. Nobody said, oh, you are the Christ, no. We want to make you a king and therefore continue to get all these benefits that you gave us at the feeding of the 5,000. And they missed the sign that was behind it. Namely, this is the Christ. This is the one the Father has sealed. This is the one whom God has approved. So immediately... Uh, the people want to ask him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Isn't that a typical law and gospel problem? They want to do the works of God, and they think that there's something they have to do because that's how they think that doing deeds, works, is what saves. Well, what do we have to do? Reminds me of uh, the Pentecost sermon by Peter, who tells them something they can't do. He says, be baptized. That's a passive. That's not something we do to ourselves. It's something that's going to happen to us. It's not an active our doing. It's a passive of our receiving. So, when somebody asks you, what do I have to do in order to get to heaven? 
Jesus answers in chapter 6 of John, verse 29. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And guess what that word belief is? Well, it's the same word that's used for faith or trust. This is where Christianity is totally different than any other religion. This came to be born, which we're celebrating in a few days. The shepherds came believing that he was the promised Messiah. And they went around and told people about it. They witnessed to this. That's the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Talk about ignorance. They just saw him feed 5,000 people or 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. How could they miss it? They say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. That's verse 31. And that's actually quoting Exodus 16, verse 4. They get that right, that it wasn't Moses who gave them the bread from heaven to eat. It was God himself. How can they not figure out that Jesus is that God? Well, Jesus goes to explain, verse 32. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. And that word truth, Jesus himself uses, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That true bread is the essential item that you need to receive. And how do you receive it? You don't receive it by running after Jesus and doing some work. You receive it by believing that he is the Christ, the Son of God, come into the world. He became incarnate to die for you. Jesus explains it. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. See, the world doesn't have life. Oh, people think they have life because they walk around, they breathe, they can do things. But Jesus gives spiritual life. When he talks about I am the way, that's the way to heaven. I am the truth. Listen to my words and believe them. And I am the life of the world. That life, we're walking around, as Jesus said, like dead people. Because 
everything we look at as an unbeliever, we're always looking, what's it of interest to me? What do I get out of it? True life is what does my neighbor get out of it? So down from heaven, and I give life to the world. Now he's talking to these people. So the people say, sir, give us this bread always. It kind of reminds you of the woman at the Samaritan well who wants the living water. See, in that case, Jesus is comparing himself to living eternal water. In this case, he's referring himself to living bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Now, a lot of people may not recognize what's happening in this verse. There is a word for I am, and it's pronounced M-E, E-I-M-I, and that means I am. But Jesus does something. He puts another word in front of it, ego, which is the word for I. That is the way that the Greek refers to the name of God that Moses received at the burning bush. What's your name? I am who I am. So Jesus says, I, I am the bread of life. He uses the name of God and says, I am God, the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. Notice how Jesus brings uh, the two items together. With the Samaritan woman, he was talking about bread, you will never hunger. I'm sorry, water, you will never thirst. And with these folks, the bread, you will never hunger. And how does one never hunger and never thirst? Because we believe in him. Now, belief always has an object. Like when you say, I believe, people are going to ask, you, you believe what? And then you say, well, I believe uh, John. But what do you mean when you say, I believe John? It means you trust his word. Whatever he says, you believe. He makes a promise, you'll trust it. And that's what Jesus is saying. The word belief, faith, and trust has as its object for salvation the promises connected to the birth, Advent and Christmas, the death, Good Friday, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all the promises connected there. It's not just a believing of the historical acts, but the promises connected to the historical acts. But Jesus, doing both law and gospel, here comes the law. But I said to you that you have seen me, namely, you have seen me, God himself, and yet you do not believe. See, they were just going to make him a temporal king. Verse 37 
all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So what is the Father giving to Jesus? Namely, Jesus is going to be head of the Holy Christian Church on earth and the kingdom of heaven after Judgment Day forever and ever. And anybody that comes to me, and how do they come to him? Through faith, I will never cast out. And see, that's a, a word that was used. The man got blind from birth. He was healed by Jesus. He gave all the credit to Jesus. Guess what? They cast him out of the synagogue. It wasn't really excommunication because there was no communion from which he got excommuned, but he was no longer permitted at the synagogue. That's what Jesus says he will never do to you. He will not cast those who believe in him out of his presence. That's a tremendous verse. Verse 38 for I have come down from heaven. Okay, that's the incarnation, which means becoming human flesh. And what was the purpose? Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus was totally obedient to the Father. Now, the Holy Trinity, prior to the foundation of the earth, had made these decisions that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, would come down to earth and be crucified, be risen from the dead as a way of saving those who they knew were going to fall into sin as Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. That's how much God loves you. God the Father is willing to put his own son to death for your sakes. And... There's a very, very close relationship between Jesus and the Father. Not only does he obey the Father, but in the Garden of Gethsemane, his weeping as of drops of blood was over what he knew he was going to be enduring, namely a separation from the Father. Verse 39, John 6. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Now, that gets us back to the point I made, that what he is being given is a holy Christian church. The elect will never be lost. Those who are not saved are those who are not part of the elect. And he concludes... Our last verse we're going to be looking at, John 6, verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. This is very important that God's will, the Father's will, 
is more than just a wish. It's what God wants and predicts will be done by Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful gift that we're hearing about. And so Jesus says, everyone who looks on the sun, and remember, the 5,000 who were fed looked on the sun, but they didn't believe in him as the Messiah. They mistook the sign, not reading Isaiah properly, but mistook the sign to think, this is our new earthly king. And that's why he said, no, you missed the sign. This shows that I am the eternal Messiah. And therefore, not just looking on the sun, but believing on him, you get everlasting life. And I will raise him up on the last day. That's the other coming of Jesus, not only in the Bethlehem stable, but also on the day of judgment. Join us tomorrow when Wes Reimnitz and I will be doing Rumination Thursday and giving more insights into this Advent Christmas season. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.